You never know when you're live. I'm like, are we live right now? Like, just one sec. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for showing up this early. I almost didn't make it. <laughs> I, got, I had a knock on my door this morning, like, the car is waiting for you. It's like, shit. Um, yeah, it's good to see you all. I've only had a half a cup of coffee so far. We'll get started in just a second. I'm a little disappointed with Kevin. I was told by Mao and Kevin before I flew out here from LA that I wasn't allowed to wear hats anymore. So I get here and Kevin's wearing a hat. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> we had this thing where we were talking, we're like, okay, well, we can make this show look a, a, a bit more professional if we just don't wear hats. And, and, then, and then, of course, yeah, sorry. You look so good in your LA to hat, too. Totally I'm, rugged. Yeah, I know, totally you rugged. got rugged. So glad to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Are we good? Awesome. So hello, everyone on the internet. This is the second time we've done a live stream. This is 100 Proof. I'm joined with Derek. Uh, so awesome that you got, you're joining us for the very first time, first time meeting. Yes. Do you want to take a moment and explain to your, uh, the audience who you are and okay. kind of what your background is? Yeah. So my name is Larry Ose Mensa. Uh, I'm a curator. My background is in marketing, advertising, but I've been curating since 2008, um, and I've been super excited about what's been happening in the Web3 space. Um, we were talking earlier, you know, uh, Chris Lyons over at uh, Andreessen has been super instrumental in my education. Matt Lyons, um, not Matt Lyons, uh, Matt Cain, uh, Marco Brambilla. And so really just been trying to identify ways to kind of bridge the, I guess, physical traditional art world and what's happening in the Web3 space. And not just necessarily making art, but we were talking earlier about Nina Chanel Abney and her project Goda and what she's been able to do, you know, not only launching the NFT, but using it as a, a tool to engage our audience and bring you know, folks who normally wouldn't go to the museum to museums. So you know, for me, it's, it's an exciting space because it's, it's continuously growing, it's evolving, I'm learning, we're figuring it out, you're breaking things, putting it back together. And I think um, this year has been really beautiful to just see how much more organic the Web3 community is integrated into the Art Basel experience. I know last year a lot of people you know, complained that, oh, it was an NFT conference. Um, but I think it's one of those things where like, you, take, you, know, you dip your toe in, you figure it out, and it's been really great to kind of participate in conversations like this. See artists, friends who are like, you know, putting their digital projects out there, learning about um, 9DCC, you know, so it's, it's been great. So for me, it's just as a curator, learning, observing, and then figuring out how do I collaborate with artists, creatives, um, to then create exhibitions and different projects. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, uh, you know, we had a chance to catch up just before, uh, before the show started about 30 minutes ago. And something that struck me uh, was your path into contemporary art and like uh, your unique skill set that you brought to the table that allowed you to kind of uh, come through into the industry in like a, I would call it maybe a, an orthogonal or adjacent way than most people come into contemporary art. It would be cool just because I think a lot of what's happening here is that same spirit but on a global internet real-time scale where work is very meritocratic and the, the best work is just coming through regardless of who's making it and where it exists. So it'd be fun, I think, for the audience just for you to 
level set and explain maybe how you got your start in contemporary and why you were able to draw your unique skill set and, and block, uh, bust through doors like you were able to. So I'm a first-generation Ghanaian-American, grew up in the South Bronx. So it actually starts with graffiti. You know, it's funny, I was doing a talk in my, here in Miami in October, and uh, I normally say, oh, it started when I, I did my grad school in Switzerland. And then I started looking at pictures from the Bronx in the 80s and 90s. I was like, oh, it's the graffiti, you know, um, and public space and communing. So whether it was like tagging, b-boying, you know, these were all things that we were doing, not knowing that, you know, it was setting the tone for what, you know, hip hop culture would become. Um, worked in the music industry from junior year of high school all through college. I initially wanted to be like a record man, so this is like, when Puff Daddy's at his peak. Um, and then I saw the mechanics of the industry and so that wasn't for me. Um, and so worked in advertising for a little bit, then uh, did grad school in Switzerland at La Roche Hospitality Management. Um, and that's where I got the bug, traveling around, doing photography. So in terms of art world, it actually started with making pictures, you know, and you know, creating exhibitions, creating space for my friends. Um, and then through that writing, curating, and realizing there weren't enough platforms for folks that look like me. Um, and I'm one that is not gonna complain. It's like, all right, how do we fix it? How do we change it, right? But also kind of always identifying when there's gonna be an inflection point and how to kind of go where the hockey puck is going. Um, and so the first, I would say, five years of curating, I also was working a job. You know, so I was doing digital marketing at Viacom, and then one day my boss you know, called me in the office and was like, you need to just do this art thing full time. She's like, you're good at your job, but you're young, and if you just don't do this like full on, you're gonna totally miss an opportunity. And so around 2015, I just kind of jumped 10 toes in to curating, um, but doing it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, right? So being independent, um, you basically eat what you kill. And I did that for a little bit, then I worked at a museum, and that for me was super instrumental, so I was at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Detroit as a senior curator. And so to see you know, what's happening in Detroit um, with that creative scene, real estate, um, venture, was super instructive for me. And then uh, before COVID, I decided to leave and go back to being independent, but now working in partnership with museums and galleries and artists and taking everything that I've learned and figuring out how do we push this forward. So we were talking earlier about, you know, now I'm trying to observe how museums are looking at Web3 as an opportunity to build community, as an opportunity to raise funds, um, as an opportunity to create other platforms for artists that doesn't necessitate you being in a physical museum space. And it's just been super exciting to learn. And like, I remember talking to Chris lines at the beginning of the year, and he was like explaining to me, last 2021, he was like explaining to me this Web3 thing, and I was like, nothing, this, we were on the phone for like two hours, I was like, nothing you said made sense to me, <laughs> you know? Um, but talking with Marco, who I've known for a long time, um, and Marco Brambilla worked on uh, Kanye's Power video, and so just like, the form of what he's using new media for, for I was like, okay, this makes sense, and then when the opportunity came to collaborate with Derek and Chris on the Jay-Z NFT for uh, the anniversary of Reasonable Doubt, 
then it really, really began to click. So I think, you know, having those aha moments and trying to share with other colleagues, some are resistant to it, some are open to it. Um, that's also been exciting, and I think, you know, creating these kind of cross-sections of spaces, I think is super important. Yeah, I'm really curious when you have, obviously, a deep connections and colleagues that are in the more traditional art space, um, what do they think of you now, and where are they on that scale? Like, are they curious a little bit? Are they, do they own any NFTs? Are they listening to any podcasts? Like, do some just completely dismiss it still? I think you have a older generation that's like kind of like very traditional in their thinking that have rejected it. But then you have an older generation that's always kind of looking at what's next, what's the future, who's, who's embraced it. I think it's a lot more conversations. I would say like a year, 18 months ago, everybody would be like, it's a fad, right? And then like, I even have some friends in Miami, you know, with everything that's been happening with crypto recently, they were like, I told you so, this was a fad. And I was like, it's an ebb and flow like everything. You know, like you have that in the traditional art world where you have an artist who's super hot, they could be selling for a million bucks and then the taste and the interest shift and they can't give away an artwork, right? So I think that's part of the journey, right? And we're, we're looking at something that is personally transformative and transforming our society and transforming how we connect, transforming how we create and express. And so, it's been a mixed bag, but it's always nice to like talk to friends and they'll be like, what's that podcast that you posted on Instagram? So I just try to use the platforms and just share it. Yeah. And some people catch it, and when they do, I'm like, okay, let me introduce you to this person. Or like, we've started an art and tech WhatsApp group, which has been super cool, right? And so it's people who are kind of across the spectrum in terms of their interests. And so for me, it's just like doing my best to indoctrinate folks because I think this is the present, I won't even say it's the future. You know, I think now it's just really about how do we continue to build, how do we continue to create connections. And again, I think this year has been really great to just kind of like, last night I was at a Black VC event that Google did, and like, I've been coming to Basel since 2008. When I started, there would never be any conversation around venture, Web3, so it's like great to kind of see it evolve. And so it's just kind of making sure that it's organic and people feel included. You know, I think that's the most important part. Yeah, this is so fascinating. And, and um, I think it was Mao or Eli, someone sent me your, your interview you did with the New York Times a few years ago. And so I had a chance to go through that. Uh, and you have this uh, great response in there about um, how you find or source really great art and like great work. And I'm curious, um, have you thought at all about what that might look like in Web3? Like where these artists may be coming from, uh, what, you know, what they may look like, uh, and where you can kind of you know, take that same curatorial edge you had, finding and discovering really great talent that maybe was being looked over over the last few decades and bringing that same lens into this space. Yeah, so for me, it's always gonna be word of mouth from other artists, right? Because if you're an artist, I feel like you're gonna be, uh, you're gonna critique another creative way more rigorously than I can ever do because I'm not, I'm not making this work, right? So I start with artists, I try to see what they're excited about. You know, I've built my career on you know, identifying emerging artists and then helping them like, grow. So like, if you go to the main fair, particularly like UBS um, Lounge, 
most of those artists that are in there, they're artists that I know, I've collaborated with, I've helped. Um, but I think that's also what's been really great about this space is that like, I remember I was, um, I don't even remember what it is anymore, not Twitter spaces, what's the other thing? <laughs> uh, I, I, another question? I've got no, 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 the other platform. Clubhouse? Clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Which was like our savior during COVID and now it's just uh, kind of like, you know, back burner thing. But listening to a clubhouse and you had like a creative who was from Panama who like I never really would be aware of unless I really was kind of going down the rabbit hole. And um, them really having an opportunity not only to create, but to earn funds in perpetuity and change the whole trajectory of not only their life, but their family, right, and other creatives. Because I think for me, that's, I travel a lot as much as I can to meet artists. And when you're in spaces that aren't not necessarily artistic zones or nodes, you know, it's challenging to get people to pay attention to what you're doing. And I think to be able to use, you know, Discord, Twitter spaces, Instagram, whatever different tools are available um, to build community and get the word out um, for me, it's been fascinating, and I think it's kind of a godsend. And so I'm always trying to pay attention to see what people are doing, not only you know for stuff that I want to collect personally, but trying to identify opportunities to collaborate with artists. So I think, you know, Web three definitely um, will be an equalizer for a lot of folks who are not necessarily in you know North America or in Europe. So it's been really great to see what's happening in South uh, South South America. Um, parts of Asia, Africa. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it's just always trying to just stay ahead of the curve and then figure out how do you collaborate to introduce it to an audience that may not necessarily be initially receptive, but knowing in my heart and also just, you know, through years of doing that, this, this actually could be a game changer. I'm curious when you, you speak about finding these new artists, these up and coming artists, these emerging artists, um, you said you talked to other artists to get kind of like their opinion. They might point you in the right direction. When you meet that artist, are there certain personality traits that you look for? Like, you know, in terms of their ability to promote themselves? Like, how do you think that has an impact in today's world and how does it apply to Web3? Yeah, so last night I was talking to an artist and I was just like, you know, you gotta be your number one fan, right? I think for me coming to this, you know, more from a business uh, point of view, you know, I look at them all as entrepreneurs, if you truly embrace that understanding and that ide ideology. So I'm looking, you know, because at some point, if an artist is telling me that this person is good, I know that they're talented creatively. But it's like, what does your work ethic look like? How are you promoting yourself? How are you being innovative in your promotion of your work? How are you building community? How are you galvanizing? And I think that's something that I understood early and really got excited about, you know, just conversations that were happening on Twitter, and then starting different WhatsApp groups, um, and just looking at how are you able to, I guess, oscillate between the digital and the real world, right? Because I think if you have the capacity to do that, then um, you'll definitely be able to kind of garner attention, support, collectors, and I think what's been fascinating about Web3 is that, you know, and this is something Matt Cain and Federico Salome taught me, that it's really the relationship with the collectors and the community who dictates you know, who's gonna rise up. As opposed to with the traditional art world, it's like a handful of people, you know, I probably am included in that, who say this is gonna be the thing, right? And that a, a lot of times omits a lot of other people who may not 
have the relationships, but have the work ethic, right? So I'm always trying to figure out who is like the underdog, who's just putting in the work, right? Because also it's a reminder of why I do this, right? Because like you do it long enough, you look at enough art, you know, you can get jaded, and then you find that one young artist who's like doing this crazy project, and you're like, how are they doing it with like zero dollars, no resources, but all sweat and heart? And those are the projects that I want to support. When you see NFT artists that are dropping new works, I, this is one that's always a head scratcher for me. How do you figure out and how do you help them understand what the right cadence is for pushing out new work? How much art needs to get out there to where you have a decent collector base, but also at the same time, just don't flood the market? Like, do you think about cadence and release schedule? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's no different than like, if you're making a painting, right? You know, thinking about how you can work serially, right? Um, and I think in the beginning, you probably can be a little bit more aggressive to get awareness, but then at some point, I think the scarcity helps you, right? So then when you do the drop and you've built a community, people go crazy and get excited about it. It's no different than a sneaker drop, T-shirt drop. Um, I think it's really about making sure that whatever you're putting out there is quality. Right? And I think that's, for me, has been a challenge with a lot of young artists across mediums. They think because they made the thing that it's good. You know, and it's like really focusing on like making something that's innovative, making something that's interesting, but that's really fucking excellent. Where like, I tell, I tell artists, you know, make it so good that like you have a moment of questioning who made that? Did I make that? Right? You have this kind of transformer, transformative experience. Because like flooding the market is, is not going to, it's not going to help, you know? And I think at some point it just kind of devalues like the creative output, you know? So I think, you know, that's why we, we were talking. I was like, oh, when are you going to do your next drop? Um, and so he was like, oh, February. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So it's almost like quarterly, right? Um, and it's also, I think, how creative you can be to feed the community without necessarily just putting out like a piece of artwork. Are there other ways, whether it's like, posters or like what I love about the Web3 space is like, you know, you've, you've evolved uh, the meetup into something that's actually more interesting and tangible and you really want to connect where like before it was like, people were like, oh, I worked at this place, I work on this project and you just get a card. I think here it's really about deeper connection and relationships because I think if you keep community at the forefront and quality of output at the forefront, I think you're going to be fine. I know we've only got you for a couple more minutes, but I um, wanted to ask you, what are you collecting in, in NFT land? Like, what are, who are some of your favorite artists, like, or, or the ones that you've yet to collect? So, Nina Chanel, obviously, um, with her drop with Goda. Um, Todd James, who just did a, a drop. Um, I missed out on so many things, to be honest. And I think that's also, like, what... Um, has accelerated like my my interest in really kind of figuring this out because like I remember when Chris was telling me about like apes, I could have got one. I was like, why am I gonna spend this money on this like thing? You know, squiggles, doodles, all these things. Like so I think part of what's catalyzed like my interest and in, in what I'm trying to like figure out what I want to support is FOMO. You know, FOMO's real. I mean, it's not a great reason, but, 
But it's it's an honest reason, right? Because like, I wasn't sure what was happening, and also it was like moving very very fast, yeah. right? And I was talking to you know a lot of you know OGs in the game who were kind of really helping like move the chess pieces, but. I would talk to them and they would just, you know, I remember I had a conversation with Guy Siri, me and um, Hank Willis Thomas, and I was just like, my brain was just fried, yeah. right? There's um, times when it moves so fast, it's like, you don't know if you're being like the fool for aping, like jumping into something. Yeah. Like crypto dick butts was trending <laughs> like, two, two, like two months ago. Yeah. And I was like, literally, I was like, do I buy one of these? Like, do you, do you own any, by the way? I don't own any CDBs. Okay. I think, I think G does. G owns a whole bunch. Yeah, and it's, and yeah. The, and it's like. One D, one B. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, is like, you know, me, I think, because my knowledge was like kind of base level, I was like very like careful. I was like, okay, well, where's the gap, you know? So I saw that, okay, let me support projects by women creators. Let me support projects by folks of color, right? Because um, that's kind of just inherent in how I think in terms of my practice. Because like, you know, a friend will be like, hey, this thing's about to blow up, get on the white list. I get excited. Like I think about um, atom bombs, I bought a bunch of those. And they were like, yeah, this is going to be the thing. And then it comes, and I'm like, OK, I thought you know, this was my get rich moment. And it didn't happen. But what I love about what Bobby Hundreds have done, they've really used it as a way to kind of like further activate the community. You know, so if you believe in what the Hundreds is doing, when they do drops, when they do events, I think they're probably um, one of the better examples of an entity who's used Web3 as a tool to kind of move things forward, right? And so I think I've had to learn to not um, be greedy, right? Um, and not be, not think about this as a money play, because it's not that, right? It's about supporting creatives, it's about being part of a community, and it's about supporting ideas, right? Ideas that you feel like really can revolutionize the way we talk, communicate, engage. Um, so, but I also know to listen to the folks who are like, you know, the whisperers. So if there are any projects out there you guys think I should be checking out. This is an alpha show. My, my wallet's full of cash. <laughs> so let me know. I think we got time for one more question while we have you. It, just listening to you riff, it's very clear, I think, to both of us that you firmly have one foot in the traditional contemporary art world and the lens by which you've viewed work historically, but you also definitely are a spiritual embodiment of like everything that's happening in Web3. Like you get it. And so uh, seeing both sides of that, if you were to come up with one thing that you wish each side knew about the other, what would that be? That we're both striving for the same things. We're both striving to support creatives. We're both str striving to make our world a better place. I know that sounds kumbaya, but um, because I believe that artists, regardless of mediums, they help us see better. They help us question things, like particularly in times like now where it's super turbulent, right? Um, they poke at us. They make us feel uncomfortable, right? Um, and I'm seeing that on both sides. I think because this is something that my colleagues more on the traditional side don't understand, 
they're not necessarily, you have a few who are embracing it, but most people are rejecting it because it's not something they're familiar with. And I think on the other side, you have people who are kind of felt left out. So it's been interesting to meet so many digital artists who've just felt like, who may have been trained as a painter, and they're just making digital art, and they're like, the art world never embraced me, they never gave me a chance, forget the art world. And I think they just need to understand that we need each other um, to really kind of blow this up, right? Um, so it's like left and right hand. You know, the, the traditional art world is not going to really be able to grow and scale without, you know, the Web3 world, right? So I think getting away from bifurcating this and, you know, figuring out how can this be more of a seamless integration. That's why I said this year has been really beautiful because it feels more seamless. It doesn't feel like, you know, one community descending in. It's like you guys, you're part of the thread. You're part of this. I've been coming here since 2008. So I've seen Basel evolve. This is the 20th year. And to see the 20th year, like, the integration of other communities, minds, creatives, is super exciting. So we need each other. That's the only way we're going to be successful. We need to just kind of figure out ways to kind of communicate. These convenings are great. Um, and, I'm, and I'm glad you guys invited me to be here. Yeah, last thing. Um where can people find you that want to follow you? Are you on crypto? Uh, so my name's Larry Jose Mensa again. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, my name. Uh, I'm on Twitter under Young Global. Um, and then I also co-founded a nonprofit, Art Noir, which has really been, you know, will be 10 next year. And we've been focused on platforming the voices of black and brown creatives. And we were talking earlier about, you know, none of us take a salary in this. But I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do we raise money? So like flirting with the idea of like creating a DAO, right? And so I think that's the other thing, um, going back to your other question, how do we use the skill set and understanding to kind of educate each other, right? So like if I'm trying to build a DAO, it's like, okay, who's the expert that can help like simplify this so then I can talk to my co-founders and then how can then I use that learning to go talk to museums and say, okay, you don't need to just have like a museum membership that like, people pay for and don't use, why don't you create a DAO where everybody has, you know, say in what's happening yeah. and an investment, so, yeah. Larry, this has been so awesome. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Appreciate it. Thank you. G-Money, everybody. What's up? So, Hello. This, I believe, and you can confirm, is your first live televised undoxed or doxed appearance. Is that right? Love that. Yep. So you guys, cool. I, I, uh, I spoke at a conference at 4 a.m. Uh, over in Asia, and I specifically wore my, uh, my avatar so that this would be my first Let's uh, go. interview. Let's go. 100 proof. I love this, man. When we first met, you were wearing your, your thing on Zoom or whatever, you know? And then at some point, a few months later, you kind of dropped it, and then we would, you know, meet up and stuff like that. So it's, it's so cool to see you do this, but, I mean, you could have kept being the character. What, what changed? Uh, you know, and I apologize for my voice. It's, I've been, oh, I've been talking there. a bunch. So, yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah, you know, it is where I've been, you know, whenever you go to these events, there's... You know, a lot of people that want to meet up, that want to take a picture. And I, I will say, like, the fact that I 
went two years without getting doxxed uh, was, I think, pretty impressive that people, even people that took pictures that knew who I was, like, I think only one photo, like, ever really got posted online. But I just figured that with Art Basel this year, um, you know, with all the things that I was doing with 90CC, I felt like now was just the time. Like, I, I took it as far as I could go, being a, a pseudo-anon, and I felt like, you know, to really take the brand to where I want to go from here, I, I just need to be doxxed. Did you, like, plan this wave of people that were doxxing? Because <laughs> there was, no, like... No, no, like, that was just so... I, I, I met Frank Degods yesterday, and, like, we were just going on, like, dude, like, I, I had no idea, because, like, I doxxed, and then I think he doxed, like, an hour or two later, and people started going doxing day, and I'm like, I, like, I have no idea. I'm like, it's, it's <laughs> funny, like... It, 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 but as it was always, cool. it was starting really a cool. trend, G, as but, always. <laughs> but it was really cool because it's, um, you know, I know he, he's here in our Basel too and they have their thing and, you know, it's just, it becomes cumbersome to kind of walk around with like a mask over your face and so, especially when it's so hot out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's been cool and I, I, I like being, I haven't been catcalled yet as I've been walking down the street so I'm like, what the fuck? But like, <laughs> but it's been good. <laughs> Let's, uh, I mean, you've obviously, uh, had this big launch happen in our Basel. I've seen the shirts everywhere. People are posting about it. The networked product is live with the collaboration with Snowfro. Can you just, for the audience, explain what's going down here and, and talk about the construction of the piece, how long you've been putting it together, what it was like to, to do it, and what the output actually is? Yeah, all right. So much to unpack there. The, uh, I've been working on it for a while. Uh, Snowfro is a good friend. He's, he's actually the person that red-pilled me on, uh, on CryptoPunks. When I minted a ton of squiggles, he was like, dude, what are you doing? Stop wasting your money. Buy a CryptoPunk. Like, literally, that's, that's what um, that convo started off like. And, uh, you know, we've been friends ever since then. And, you know, last, early last year, you know, I already knew what I was going to be doing with 90CC and what I wanted to do. And I was like, I'd love to do something together um, with regards to clothing and physical product and some sort of collab. And he was like, dude, like I've been thinking about this forever, generative physical clothing, like that's the future on demand. He's like, I've been thinking about this since 2017. And I'm like, all right, like I, I love this. Like let's, let's figure something out. And then we ended up uh, like kind of like finalizing, all right, what would this look like? Where would we do it? How would we do it uh, in late August? And uh, since then, we've been like heads down on building it. And it's funny because I think the day after we were like came to like the handshake agreement, he like started, you know, he wrote this thing about, uh, you know, just the Artblocks engine being used for like a lot of generative projects and stuff like that. And he, he mentioned generative clothes. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, he's teasing it in plain sight. People in the Discord like posted, he's like, when like Snowfro collab? I'm like, no, no, there's no Snowfro collab. Um, but we were, we've been planning it ever since then. But I mean, the thing that I think is really cool about it is that it's uh, like an official squiggle variant, right? So the way the pop-up works is people walk into the space, they mint an NFT, that NFT gets generated. As soon as that's generated, we start fulfilling it in the back, right? So it's like the idea, the concept is like in the not so distant future, what does the world look like where you can walk in and you can buy a very unique Physi uh, piece of physical clothing, right? And so obviously the entire manufacturing process is nowhere near uh, in the physical space what it can be in the digital space where you know, you're, you're just limited by your imagination in the digital space. In the physical space, you have logistics and gravity that you have to worry about. So you know, basically, as soon as you mint it, you hang out in this lounge, 
Um, it's fulfilled, you can kind of see everything happening. It's almost like this white room environment where you see the, the image gets printed onto a shirt, then it's taken to the back where the NFT is actually linked to the physical shirt, uh, which also acts as a proof of authenticity, and then it's packaged and brought out to the customer and all fulfilled within like five to 10 minutes. This is a look at the future, folks. Uh, so, uh, so much to unpack there. I'd say the first thing, just to, to really like rubber stamp how cool this thing is, Snowfro is very protective about his algorithm, right? The squiggle. Mm. Uh, and what you're saying is he allowed you to use the exact same algorithm that was used for people to mint squiggles over the last 24 months for purposes of creating a one of one of X generative shirt through this 90cc drop, which is pretty cool shit. I, 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 I feel so honored, like I, I, and I guess I left that part out. That's probably one of the most important parts is it's the same exact algorithm with the same exact rarities uh, that the Chromie squiggle has, right? But instead of a squiggly line output, it's a straight line, it's literally this, right? And so uh, it's been cool, like just watching people, you know, Seed Phrase actually walked in, mint number eight, probably minted the rarest one, I'm like, what the fuck, but like, but I, it's been cool, like as things go up on the screen, people in the lounge are like, oh my God, that one's cool, like it's, it's been a great experience. Tell the story about how you thought it was broken at first. Yeah, so literally I, I take a picture of it and I send it to Snowfro, and like the, the algo started off really hot. This was mint number two, Snowfro, well this is mint number one, Snowfro got mint zero, and like there were a couple, I think there were a couple of ribs, there were, there were a couple like rares, and then seed phrase hits at like mint number eight, and I'm like, we're like, oh man, is this thing hot? Like, is, are, like where are the rarities? Like, maybe like we messed up on the rarity uh, distribution. And like since then it's cooled down, but like right out the gate we were like pretty nervous of like, uh-oh. Cause like you, you really don't know, right? Like you don't know, it's like, so it's, it's been cool. It's been fun not knowing what, you know, the rarities are, just like in, in any generative art piece, right? Um, but really everyone walking out with a one of one of X, right? Yeah. In this case, 1200. Uh, and it's been cool. Like really just seeing product out there in the wild all throughout Basel, not just at NFT events, but also um, at general Basel events, which has been cool, and yeah. um, just people representing uh, the, the brand and the space and, and all that stuff. When, when I was at Marfa, uh, people were coming up to me with your black shirt on, this one on, and it was like, scan, scan it. Like, yeah. yeah, because people wanted the provenance of you collecting their, their NFT, their that, POAP. That's cr so yeah. yeah, walk us through that. Like, what, what is your dream? Like, what's the thinking behind actually putting the NFC chip inside of the shirt? Like, what does that enable? Where do you see that going long term? Why is that an important piece of all of this? So I think there's, there's two things that I'm really excited about putting the chip in there. One is that certificate of authenticity that I think you know, anybody that collects anything uh, of value, like there's a, a significant amount of value attached to the certificate of authenticity, right? If you were to sell a pre-owned watch without the paperwork, it is worth significantly less than one with the paperwork. And so it's like, all right, how do you make it so that the certificate of authenticity travels with the actual physical product which is one, right, which is I think super important, like, you know, we live in a world where, you know, uh, it's impossible to buy a Birkin bag, right, and, but you don't know how many Birkin bags exist, like, as a consumer, I would like to know how many of these are in existence, because a lot of times they, they sell, like, companies will sell you that, on that idea of scarcity, oh. but in reality, they're like, yeah, we're just pumping this, this out, like, oh, you know. I, the biggest <laughs> secret in all of the watch world is that Nobody knows that Rolex makes over a million watches a year, and if you go to their boutique, there's always empty slots. 
100% by design. That you walk in, they're like, oh, well, let us get back to you in three months. That, that's complete bullshit. Like, they have plenty of supply, but they do that to, like, tease you out and get you excited, and then you're hooked when you, when you buy one. Yeah, and, and, but that's the thing is, like, as a consumer, like, that sucks, right? Like, it's like with, with the stuff that we know this from the NFT space where you're always like, well, what's the supply, right? How many of these are in existence? Because that determines, like, long-term value, right? Like, because that's going to determine supply and demand in the out years, right? So that was one, that was one. I wanted that certificate of authenticity. But what I'm like really excited about, and like I, I shared this, this tweet with Derek, uh, I think it was yesterday, is the whole network product aspect of it, of once the, the product actually gets put out there in the wild, people, the, each one dispenses POAPs, right? Uh -huh. So it's proof that you met that shirt. Uh -huh. And there was two reasons that were really like, what gave me um, the, the reasons for me wanting to do it was uh, in June of 2021 at Bitcoin Miami, I like last second decided to do a three-day POAP scavenger hunt in, in Wynwood. And basically I hired somebody to stand at like a coffee shop and I would tweet out, you know, between the hours of like two and three, like show up here, collect the POAP, find the person wearing the G Money shirt, collect the POAP and whatever. Like literally just no, no prizes, no nothing. And people showed up, I think over the course of three days, we had a total of like 70 something people show up. One of those days, two people who had nothing in common, the only thing they had in common was that they both followed me and they both showed up to that place at the same time and they started talking. They ended up starting a $35 million venture fund together and being like founding members of two DAOs. And that, like, I wasn't even there, right? Like, it was just two people that followed me, that showed up there, that started this business relationship and friendship uh, just from showing up there. So I was like, all right, well, that, and this was like, one of the first events where we opened up after COVID. And it was like, all right, like that's the power of like bringing these online communities into real life. So that was one. And then two, when I was going around the world, traveling to different conferences, I would give out my POAP of people meeting me. And that's what ultimately led to the allow list for Admit One, which gave them a free mint, uh, which you know, traded as high as like 20 ETH or something. But like, that like to me is just like, all right, how do I empower the community and kind of scale myself and what I saw happen in real life and try to foster these connections of people, like creating an icebreaker moment, right? I'm curious, when you say creating that icebreaker moment, there's, there's, I've had this happen where I've scanned a couple different ways. One, very nice people that just want to have a conversation as well, which is great, because then you get that icebreaker. And another that is like, just scan me, I'm gonna go run and get another scan, because I want to like play the game of getting as many scans. How do you, is there an integration in any type of software or app that is more than just a scan that sparks that conversation, a prompt, something that you can do socially between those two people to create a little bit more depth? You're saying like, uh, like from a digital perspective? Yeah, meaning if like I scan you, I have to do some, one step further in, in terms of engaging with that person rather than just playing a game and running off to scan the next shirt? Like, if you thought... So, I, I mean, I have been thinking about it. Like, a lot of these ideas is, like, the gamification of in real life um, connections and then bringing that online, which I find really intriguing. And I, it's... Like, this is our first, like, basically what we're doing for anybody that's in Miami is if you see anybody wearing a 90cc shirt, the person that collects the most POAPs from unique shirts wins a free iteration one shirt um, by Sunday night, and the person that distributes the most also wins a shirt. And so... Oh, interesting. So this is, like, our first, like, mass um, gamification event 
like at a real life event. And right? you can also hide, you could do, I'm just throwing out random yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah. You could hide an NFT in a shirt in that you just have to go and meet people and one would get revealed in and, real or, time. Or make a, one like super would, valuable, right? And, well, you wouldn't even know you're carrying it around. Exactly. And, then, and then if someone come up and, and scan you, that, that'd be a really fun way to kind of like I mean, do drops. There's like infinite possibilities for things. So for instance, like, the way, the way the verification works is it's pull tech, right? So when you have the shirt, you, whoever has physical possession of the shirt can pull the certificate of authenticity, in the case for this drop, is the actual generative piece, the NFT piece, into their wallet, right? But right now there's no locking mechanism, right? So you can come up and you can pull my NFT into your wallet, and then like I can go home and be like, oh, oh, Kevin pulled it into his wallet, all right, I still have possession of the shirt, I can then pull it into my wallet. Now, Has anyone tried to like sneak a people, shit so when Snowfro, you're not looking? Snowfro, when we started doing this, he's like, I'm going to go around stealing people's <laughs> NFTs and playing in my wallet. I'm like, I think people would be pretty happy to see the provenance of their NFTs show up in Snowfro's wallet and then back in there. So like, I think there's like a lot of interesting, cool things of gamification. I wanted to keep this first activation really broad because I wanted to see how people interact with the tech without any incentivization and then really be like, okay, well, what if we did this and what if we did that? But to your point is like, I've already had conversations like, all right, well, how do we take this to the next step, right? Where it's like, okay, we connected in real life. Maybe we spoke for two minutes, right? Three minutes, not even, but we both had to go to other things. How can we follow up without me being like, oh, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, give me your phone number, Telegram or whatever, Twitter, um, for us to like get that connection. And then it'd be like, oh, well, this person collected your POAP, so they actually know who you, you actually did meet them, so you're probably more likely to respond to them, right? Man, okay, so I think this is so awesome. The, the really cool thing that I think has not yet really been um, played with with Web3 is, is how social this technology really is. This is a very network technology. And if we look back at how brands formed or how communities formed pre-internet or in the early internet without blockchain, there was all these networks that were forming, but there was no way to like, like surface those invisible threads. I think what 90C, 90CC is playing with is this idea that you can now surface these invisible threads for the first time ever using things like POAP and IYK and NFC chips and blockchains uh, to be able to create like a mapping of how like these communities are forming in real time. And when you have a provable mapping of how a community is formed, to Kevin's point, that design space gets really fucking cool. Like yeah. there's all sorts of things you can pull out of that. It could be gamification. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. It's this idea that this has been around for a long time where I remember the, when I was talking to Dennis Crowley from Foursquare way back in the day. It's this idea of um, dark data, like data that is being created that is human physical data that's never being captured anywhere. Like we're all here. Like that's real data, but it's just not captured anywhere, totally. right? When to, Foursquare would capture that. So like to, to that point, right? We teamed up with Token Proof on Monday, and I'm not sure if people realize this, but basically any Token Proof event that where you have to show a ticket to get into that event, if you're wearing the shirt, you can then scan the shirt within 10 minutes of walking of walking into the event. And then you get credit in like the 90cc ecosystem for wearing that shirt to the event, right? So to your point is like you're capturing that data that's like, you know, I don't know where people wear Supreme to. I have a guess of where they wear it, but I don't know exactly where they wear it. And so what does that look like when we finally start being able to capture that data without infringing on people's privacy, right? Without being like, you were exact at this geolocation at this time for this amount of period, where it's like, okay, you, you give that information up because you want 
to get credit within the ecosystem. It's opt-in. And that be, yeah, it's opt-in, and, and that becomes incredibly powerful. I'm really curious, um, we had to wrap up here in a couple minutes, but um, where do you sit in the stack of creation? Meaning, you're doing physicals, you got shirts, you're putting chips in there, um, you're trying to compress the time from a mint to an actual physical in your hands. That is you know, a doable thing right now with t-shirts. Do you think you sit and you innovate on the manufacturing side as well to where five years from now we walk in one of your events and it's with sneakers and I get a custom sneaker when I walk out because you've come up with a new manufacturing process. Like, or do you power other brands? So we walk into a Louis Vuitton and we get a custom bag via your technology. Like, are you a software layer? Are you a hardware layer? Are you both? Or what are you going to do there? I, like the way I look at it is like when I look at crypto in general, I think a lot of people are building on the protocol layer and people are building like 10 lane highways when there's like three cars on the road, right? And so like, I'm like, all right, well, you know, and I have a lot of partners, right? Like I'm using IYK for the chips, 4K for the vaulting of the physical product, which is like a whole nother discussion of like, you know, disintermediation of StockX and then be, being able to use that physical product as collateral in, you know, NFT and DeFi protocols, which is like a whole nother discussion that we can talk about for 20 minutes. But like, I wanna build on the application layer that leads to adoption, right? Like how do we make cool things that people actually want to be a part of instead of being like, well, the tech is amazing, right? It's like, all right, cool, the tech is amazing, but like, you have to make something that people want, right? Like, if Kim Kardashian drops an NFT tomorrow, like, most of the world, does, they don't care anything about the technology other than the fact that they want Kim K's product, right? So it's like, one, how do I make something that's desirable? But then two is make it so that when I do partner with brands or celebrities that are coming to the space, make it really like as low risk as you possibly can for them so they're not worried about you know, getting stuck with this massive NFT community or being associated with something that's a rug or whatever have you, right? And I think like, because there's a big opportunity in that bridge of building on that application layer, utilizing all these different protocols to build cool things. So awesome. I'm, I'm just in awe by what you've created. So thank you so much for, I, for being I mean, here. I want to thank you because it was like in January of this year, you were gracious enough to hop on a call with me when I was initially like laying down the groundwork for Admit One and you gave me like some really good advice and like I'm forever grateful for that and like I love everything that you've built here that you've been doing. So oh, for well, sure. Appreciate and, it. Thanks, sir. Derek, I, oh, I mean, Derek's, Derek's no brainer. All right. <laughs> So this is our first time meeting in person. This is awesome. Yes. Big shows, everyone. I saw you briefly last night. What's that? I saw you briefly last night. For like two seconds. Like yeah. there, was, there was a, yeah. Well, this is like great to sit down and have a conversation. So awesome. Thank you. So awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's um, the first time you interviewed me was over the phone, just voice. And now it's different. It's my first time in Miami too, so it makes it all even more special. Yeah, how's it been for you? Is it like you're you're here now. Have you had a chance to explore things? Have you been, just been busy with meetings? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm staying by myself, and I wake up super early and go watch the sunrise. It's so nice. It reminds me of home, and I've been in different meetings with curators, museums. It's it's really really. Surreal. 
to be here, to have the opportunity to talk. Um, have a talk later at Arbeiso with Hans Ulbricht, and I'm super, super proud, and like, I'm super proud to be here with you now. It's just, everything's working out somehow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is our first time meeting. I'm stoked for the conversation. I've been following you and your work for the better part of the last year. I think maybe just for the audience and for those that are tuning in online, maybe you can describe a little bit about your path uh, into Web3, You a record-breaking artist. You've uh, played with a bunch of different themes over your career, and um, it'd be fun to just like hear a little bit about uh, your creative work in, in Web3 and, and how you got to where you are today. Uh, yeah, uh, as you can see around, I, Kevin was, um, the team was kind enough to put it all, all around. Like, most of my work is based on algorithms and noise algorithms, like the one in the back uh, that's called what time works for you, because that's a question that I get asked a lot. And <laughs> it's just, I think I use what's in my environment and what's happening in the moment. Um, it's, been, it's been an incredible experience. Humbling and hectic all at once, but I'm, I'm learning on the go how to become a professional artist, how to keep things going and balance it with my, my other side that is just getting lost on, on my own art as a meditation. Um, I've, many doors have opened. I've been able to help my family, um, like the support in the house now. And, uh, I'm getting out of my comfort zone every day just to keep going with, with all of this growth. It feels like a garden that just keeps flourishing around me. I feel more positive, more, like many things change inside too because I did a lot of this artwork while feeling very like captive inside, like both in, like during the pandemic and also dealing with, you know, like trying to heal. Um, so yeah, my work has a lot of myself, my memories, emotions. Um, I think I try to capture the data, as you mentioned before, like the dark data that is just floating in there. <laughs> Uh, metaphorically, and put it inside a visual, a visualizer. So yeah, I'm very proud to be here, to be alive, and to be able to share this with everyone. How do you think um, it's, so that's awesome, the context there is very rich, and it's helpful to hear a lot of this work was inspired, um, you know, by time being locked up, and it was very therapeutic for you to, to create work uh, like this. Moving forward, it sounds like you're evolving. Um, how do you think your, your, your new work will be inspired? I, I think inspiration is this very interesting concept, right? Like it uh, can strike from anywhere. It's usually a result of the inputs that are around us. Uh, you as an artist and as a human have changed a lot over the last few years. And so I guess the question I'm leading to is knowing the person you are today is different than the person you were a year ago or two years ago. How do you think the future work you, you create uh, will be inspired by the, the type of person you are now? What, will it look different? Will it look the same? Will there be themes you, and threads you continue to pull on? Or can we expect something that looks wildly different? I think my work's always evolving as I evolve. I, I, I don't stay in the same concept. Um, I think it's not that I just get 
bored with it, but I feel that like as things change around me, I, I have to adapt. Um, I feel like I, I believe in resilience, like just getting stronger with time, even though times are strange and hard for many. I think the only way to survive is like adapting to it, like melding, melting around all the structures and patterns that life brings. Um, sometimes my work can be really colorful, like pops up, like this one, the blue one. And sometimes it can be really just dark and like shows layers of shadows and light, like beyond recognition. I've been, <laughs> I trying to, I, I've been trying to buy this one from you for a long time. <laughs> I love that one. I gave you a head up. I know, we got, we got to talk afterwards. <laughs> let's see, let's see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I think even though like work can be sometimes a bit darker, like it can show some of those like sides of us that we try to hide or we try to like just um, ignore. I don't like ignoring that part. I like listening to sad music and like electronic. I just go like in different waves, and that's how I, I think I managed to create art. And with time, I think I'll just keep going like. Waves. I believe in the future. I love it. I dream with sci-fi movies all the time. I write, like sometimes what I write on the quotes is a mix of like the present and the future, and almost like encrypting um, my thoughts. So it's not easy to understand, but whoever's interested enough will try to find the clue and the ways to decode it. And that's why I love cryptography and all of this. And, the art that I've been creating for six years, um, seven now. So awesome. Um, I'm curious, wh wh what's your toolkit look like? Are you using processing for this? Are you using P5.js? Like, what, what's the what's the behind the scenes? And then, how long from oh, I have this idea to actually seeing parts of it appear on the screen? What's that? What's that timeline look like for you? Uh, I used a software called Tosha Signer. I think I've mentioned it before many times because I, I promote it like it's just a community. It's more than just a software. It grew out of the necessity from artists to find tools that were accessible, open sourced, and it's something that keeps updating every every six months, every year. And it's free to use. There's like other licenses, but yeah, it's pretty open. And people share projects online, and they write in the forums, and they answer you if you have a problem with the code, you need to fix an error, you want to upgrade your work somehow. And it's mostly used for audiovisual installations, like the ones you see in concerts, and like uh, new media art shows, projection mapping, interactive shows. And that's something that I'm really interested on. Um, I've been practicing this year on doing live shows. I did one at Defcon Bogota, and I did one in Panama, and I cover it with like the things, the 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 fonts that I've saved from NFTs. Like this medium has like switch on everything for me because I, now I can fund my own projects, uh, even though that shouldn't be the way. Like the government or like like I don't know entities should help artists, but. In Panama, that's not the case. So I'm trying to show people how it works, like how interested in it, it is, and 
I got so much interest. Like so many artists from Panama that works in plastic art or uh, dancing or music, which is like the dominant uh, class of art there, um, are interested in collaborating and mixing the, their art with me. I even started learning how to dance. I've been taking classes of a dance called Gaga, which is like guided meditation, but moving and flowing and getting really tired <laughs> and sore. Uh, but it's, it's beautiful. I learned so much about myself. Um, look, going back to the software questions, Toshi Center is what I use the most. It's relaxing. You just start connecting dots. Uh, it's a visual programming language, so you can see what's going on in each operator or each box that connects with each other and has all of these operations running in real time. So it's not like um, you can modify things and see what's happening and even project it in live for other people and they can see what's happening live, which is what's beautiful about generative art. It's like magical. And people get like, wow, how do you do this? Like, you can see it there. And that's like, I think this is the beauty of it. What's super cool, uh, it's awesome to hear that you're exploring all of these different uh, mediums, right? Like dance was one that stuck out to me just now, which I think is super interesting. Uh, as is like the liveness of these shows that you're describing. What, what I've thought a lot about is like the ephemerality of like some very like specific categories of art. So with, um, you know, painting or music, there was always like something tangible that artists could sell to consumers of that stuff. Uh, it's difficult when we're talking about like a, a live experience or dance, like what is the output that it's very ephemeral in a way that like other art forms aren't in, in mediums. I guess, have you thought at all about, um, now that you're starting to explore some of these other modalities, how you might be able to pull some of these things in, in a way that um, allows you to like have a salable output or um, a thing that can be, an object that can be produced for consumption on a, on a blockchain? Or is it really more just to expand your lens as an artist and how you think about making art? Although you mentioned it, um, I, was, I was talking to the Uber driver, he was from Colombia, and I was explaining him how my art works. And I was telling him like I, was, I wanted to start doing physical works so people that don't really understand about generative art or like digital art in general, make with computers. Like can, be, can touch, can feel, can, can be in the presence of the art. I think it's important because not everyone is inside the internet like us. Um, also in another Twitter spaces, we, we were having a discussion about what we live through the internet. And it's so deep. Then I, I started realizing that I've been hanging outside the internet this year more than the usual. And when you go and try to explain what's, what's going on here, like people are like, what? <laughs> it's just really weird because it's a different dimension. It's a different language, basically. Almost like we're aliens inside mm -hmm. the, this world. And we're creating new things that people will have to really love the internet and really love all of this like, complicated layers of it to be part of. So uh, yeah, I'm interested in creating physical works Bring, bring to life kinetic lines like the ones in the back. Like imagine people walking through it, feeling it, moving them. 
Um, and I've been doing them uh, with live shows. It's just really expensive to do. So like, we have to find a way to balance it out and create this world for other people. You know? And that's why NFTs are so important. Like, it's not only just to you know, uh, hoard. It's to like, give back and be able to produce your art and be, be, be at peace, be like, okay, I don't have to work like 16 hours a day in something I don't like to be able to do my art. That's why, that's why I'm grateful for. Um, I worked for a long time in a call center, in call centers, different ones, in Panama and like Latin America. Uh, you get a lot of um, outsourcing for tech support. So that's, that uh, really consumed a lot of my time. And I was getting trained to be that person. I didn't feel comfortable. So I think this, this kind of jobs are, made to be, are meant to be automated. Like I believe in automation. I believe that artists can find a way to collaborate with tools as we advance as society and not feel scared that we're gonna lose our position as artists, but just make things easier for us. So, yeah, I hope that answers your questions. Yeah, that was awesome. So I'm curious, um, given this market, it's like really crazy and uh, you've seen all the FTX news and everything else that's happening and the general uh, bare nature of everything. Does that weigh on you at all as an artist or any other of your kind of peers in this space or are you just heads down working on the next thing? Um, well, luckily I haven't, I haven't been affected by what happened with FTX, but obviously like I'm part of the community and I know people that have been affected that were believing in this platforms and these projects and these people that honestly sometimes I feel like uh, a lot of people in the crypto space play to be gods. They want to save the world and that's okay. Like, you can try to do your best, but to try to sell a product uh, with that premise and not being transparent, that's completely wrong. I know that people that are in the continent of Africa, for example, I'm not sure which part, um, have been really affected by it. And countries that are underdeveloped, and that I was reading, like that, that really, really hurts. That because you're trying to get into a world that promises uh, an opportunity that we don't have with regular banks or governments. Uh, I completely disconnected from that system, to be honest. I try my best to just be in crypto. But there's people that have no other option. So when you go to these places and offer these options, and then like you get scammed, and you get like um, lied to, and you lose all the funds you had. Also people in, in Canada uh, from their, the labor union, I think, they lost a lot because they were investing in it. Yeah, I think this is just uh, really messed up. Um, I hope we find ways to raise funds and try to give back to these communities that lost so much. And I know it's a lot, but 
I mean, there's a sector in crypto and NFTs that have been trying to raise funds for, for projects that have global impact. So I think we can, we can manage to do it and try to heal the community. I think that's important. Instead of ignoring it, instead of just letting it go and letting these people be free without punishment, I think we, we have to try to show that we care about these communities and that, um, that we're not gonna let it happen again, like it's nothing. Like imagine this person just gets a bunch of invest, investment again to create another project and people that are not aware, that, are, that don't read enough, or maybe they don't have access to the internet, fall again. It's, uh, I think that's something we have to avoid as leaders in the space. Uh, lastly, um, what's on the horizon for you as an artist? Like, what are the next six months to a year look like in terms of what you plan to release, shows, uh, anything that you have any firm dates on right now? Um, I think I'm gonna have to focus on my solo show, like from now on, because this whole year has been about other people's projects and shows, but I got the opportunity um, with um, one of my collectors to be part of a, a show in New York, and I'm planning to have it in end of spring. I wanted to have it in, in Panama, um, I'm gonna have it too, um, the museum of the canal, the Panama Canal, offered me the opportunity to use any installations I wanted to do this. Honestly, sometimes I feel like I have a lot of weight on my shoulders in Panama because I'm the only one doing this. I've tried to help others do it, but it takes years to create that culture um, and the system that allows them to do it, but I believe that if I can continue showing the example that crypto art and generative art can, can be part of a, the art culture in Panama, um, I think there's gonna be more artists coming and having the same opportunities of, as I have. But yeah, these are, are my plans for next year. Uh, solo show in New York and in Panama. I, w I would say that anyone that hasn't listened to our podcast um, should definitely go back and listen to it because your story is just so heartwarming and it's so clear to me that aside from being just a phenomenal artist, um, you also have a huge heart and you've always tried to lift up those around you in your community, your family. You always talk about how you know you were able to lift up your family, have them do less work and just like it's so the philanthropic side of the things that you do is just very impressive so thank you so much for that and thank you for joining us today thank you um it's an honor you know those are the things that keeps my feet on earth with all of this pumping like people are just always like oh my god yes let's do it um okay i need to just relax and think about my family and also others like i can't be just all alone in a place like the places that are being given. So, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity, um, everyone that's here. Give a round of applause for eggshells. Thank you. And lastly, before we wrap things up, uh, we'll want to check in with you and see if there's anything else to, to chat about. But also, um, you know, we've been 
really lucky to have this awesome venue and, and be over here at the Hodler Gallery with their brand new opening. This is the very first this event. This is awesome. We're two for two now. We, we, we can glitch gallery, your gallery. True. The last live 100 proof we did was at glitch, Glitch's opening. Now we're doing it again. Uh, if anyone's got a gallery out there, out there in the world, <laughs> yeah. give us a ring. We're, we are, it's kind we're of our thing now. It's we kind just of travel around now. open galleries. Uh, any last comments before we go? Like, how have things been for you? Everything's been awesome. I haven't uh, even seen you. This is been the first time. <laughs> We've been in so many different places. Uh, it's, been, um, it's been insane. We've been on the road for, I don't know, three weeks at this point, four weeks. Uh, Mexico City. I was in Miami three or four weeks ago. Then Marfa for the opening, which was amazing. The Art Box crew killed it. Uh, then Bright Moments in Mexico City, which was phenomenal. So uh, and then um, now, now out here and it's just been it feels like this whole space has kind of been immune to what's been going on out there in Web3 and mm. I've never felt more invigorated or electrified with this space and the people in this space and the communities that are forming here. So I continue to be enthusiastic about what everyone's doing here and and where this space is headed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, again, a big thanks to Hodler Gallery. Please come out here and check it out if you're ever out here in Miami. This is a brand new opening. It's a beautiful space, as you can see. We'll get some other shots to splice into the video as well. And uh, thank you all for coming. Woo! So you showed me what you made